So we are in the middle of discussing the Tanoim, the engagement of the Rebbe Maharash to his second wife, Rivka, which we are, you know, we call Rebbeton Rivka. Now it's the Minog at the Tanoim for each side to mention the, the Milas of their side. You want to let the Mechutanim know who you are, where they come from. So being the oldest member of the family, Gittel, the older sister, spoke on behalf of the Kala side. And she turns to her uncle, the Tzemach Sedek. And she said, you are personally familiar with where we come from on our mother's side, being that my mother is a daughter of the Mittler Rebbe. Um, you're also aware that our father was a descendant of the great Paisik, the Eishel Avram. The Eishel Avram lived in the early 1700s in uh, Frankfurt, Germany. So now you have Eishel Avram is printed on, in most uh, Shulchan Aruchs. Not most, but many of them, it's printed in the Shulchan Aruch. However, perhaps that won't impress you so much because you also have a very Chasheve Yichus from both sides. However, she said, remember she's talking, how, how old is this girl already? She's uh, 17 or 18. She says, the purpose of informing the other one side, the, the yichus, is not to show off. It's to let the mechutanim get acquainted with each other. So, chasheva uncle, let me introduce to you your mechutan. Your mechutan is none other than the father of all orphans, Hashem himself. So here, remember, because they didn't have parents. And hearing these words, as well as some of the other clever comments that she made, uh, that Samach Sadiq said, if I would have another son, I would take you for a daughter-in-law as well. But he only has one more son, right? The, the Rebbe Marash is the last son. But as we said, she, he found a shidduch for her very closely after. So the wedding was set to take place just eight days later on Yud Aleph Nisan in 1850, so, uh, 52 years before the Rebbe was born. And a special shliach you know, was sent to the Kala's uh, par- grandparents her, from, from her uh, father's side, informing them of the wonderful news. And despite his old age, Ramesha traveled from Shklov, the grandfather of the Kala, and participated in the joyous occasion, his granddaughter's wedding. Now, since the wedding took place so soon after the engagement, many Hasidim weren't even aware that the Rebbe Maharash got engaged a second time before his wedding was already over. Um, even those people who did find out about it, they find out about it, they say, oh, did you hear? The Rebbe's youngest son became engaged. They go, oh, when's the wedding? Tomorrow. Well, it takes three days to travel to Lubavitch, so that leaves that out. So as a result, the wedding was celebrated on a much smaller uh, scale than the first wedding. Nevertheless, there were certain Rabbanim and Hasidim who made the extra effort to participate in the Simcha, even though it was uh, difficult. And most Hashiv among the Hasidim was the Elton Hasid and Rav, Reb Yitzchak, Isaac of Hummel, Rabbi Isaac Hummler. On the day of the wedding, 
uh, Rivka, Rebetzin Rivka, went to the Tzemach Sadik's room and asked her uncle, and meaning he was already her uncle, but now she's, he's also going to be his, uh, her uh, future father-in-law, to give her a bracha. And the Tzemach Sadik gave her a bracha and he benched her. And he then asked her to bless him as well. And, and the Tzemach Sadik said that the, the Chachamim say that the brachis of a kala should not be taken lightly. And she taka benched her, her future father-in-law. The Tzemach Sadik then called his son, the Marash, and instructed him to go to his grandmother, Rebetzin Shaina, the, the wife, the Rebetzin of the Mittler Rebbe, and respectfully demand that before the marriage she should fulfill her pledge and give him the promised dowry. Right, what did she say? That I'm going to give the koiches that I have from being married to a tzaddik for 40 years, that will be my gift to the Hassan and Kala. So even though she was very old at the time, she was 76, and Rebbe Tzashena was uh, in the kitchen helping out, preparing the food for the Hassanah together with the other women, and her grandson comes in, and he goes up to her and he says, uh, I need to get the uh, dowry you promised. And she just says, uh, now's not a good time, I'm occupied. But uh, his father, the Rebbe, told him, got to get it right now. So uh, he was very insistent. And he said, my father instructed me to receive your bracha now. And I am not returning to him without it. And seeing how determined he was, the Rebetzin cleaned her hands. She put them on his head and said, I hereby give to you all the powers that I have for being the wife of a true tzaddik for 40 years. And the Marash returned to his father and repeated his grandmother's words. And the Rebbe's face broke out into a large smile, expressing his tremendous happiness at such a gift. And Take was a precious dowry that uh, you couldn't buy anywhere else. You can't afford such a thing. Meaning it's not, it's not, that's not something money could buy. At the Chasana, the Tzemach Tzedek was very happy, joyous, and he said many maimarim in honor of the occasion. So after benching in Sheva Brachas, the leading Hasidim and Rabbanim, they obviously, what are you going to do? So many great Hasidim in one place. Fabrain! And among other things, the Elter Chasid, the Rabbi Zekamler said, the Alter Rebbe's Hasidim knew both what was demanded of them and where they were holding in order to achieve it. However, with today's Hasidim, that is not the case. They know what's demanded of them, but as far as where they're holding, they don't know. And saying these words, he fainted. And it's uh, uh, a Kumler. Meaning it, it, uh, he was saying that the Hasidim like of, of today are not the Hasidim of the Alter Rebbe. Now for us, we look at that and go, Halavai, we should be like the Hasidim of the Tzemach Sadek, right? Proper Hasidim. Um, so the Tzemach Sadek said additional Maimar during the week of Sheva Brachas. And as the meal on the last day of Sheva, at the meal of the last day of the last Sheva Brachas, he explained the concept that's mentioned in Zayar that Mashiach will bring even Tzadikin to the level of Tshuva. He said when a Tzadik does Tshuva, it's an entirely different flavor and sweetness. Moving on, after his wedding, it's known that there are three ways you could help other people. There's begufay, with your body, meaning with your person. 
Bimamayna, you can help them with money. And Benashoy, with your soul. The Rebbe Maharaj, he showed this concept, this idea of helping people in all three of these ways, even before he became a Rebbe, doing his, bells, his best to help his father, his father's Hasidim, in these three ways. And obviously he continued to do this after he became a Rebbe. So he said earlier, we already mentioned that the Maharaj helped Hasidim Begufoy with, with his person, in person, by convincing his father to increase the time that he gave for Yechidus. So that he could give guidance and brachas. Additionally, even after the Echidus hours were extended, sometimes happened that a chassid would arrive uh, with what he considered a very important thing, only to be told by the gabai that uh, the next scheduled Echidus would be in a few days. So sorry, you have to wait. Now, what's this chassid supposed to do if he needs an answer right now? And this would be especially problematic. Could you imagine if you showed up in the time that the Tzemach Tzedek wasn't taking anyone into Echidus? Those few weeks or a few months or even longer because uh, the government was watching him. So in such a situation, many of the Hasidim would turn to the, the Marash and the Marash's home was right next to his father, the Rebbe. And although he concealed his greatness from them, he didn't let, he didn't let anyone see how great he was. We'll get to that later. Um, they noticed that there was a special relationship between him and, and, and his father, the Rebbe. So it was therefore logical for them to ask him to, to present their request to the Rebbe. Furthermore, since they lived in the same house, right next to each other, the rooms were right next to each other, so the Hasidim hoped that they would get an answer quickly. Additionally, they felt comfortable approaching him because he would often be seen passing time with Hasidim, like he would schmooze with them, you know, mamish, he would love schmoozing. And obviously not to waste time, he would do it in order to help them. Um, they also didn't believe that they're taking away from his studies because, because he was so humble, they didn't realize how much he did study. He was the only one of the Rebbe's sons that no one ever saw him reviewing his father's maimarim or discussing uh, learning publicly in Lubavitch. It sometimes happened that a chassid would come into him with a larger request. He said, I'm, I'm in desperate need of a bracha from the Rebbe. And he said, however, when I entered the Rebbe's room for Yechidus to ask a bracha, the Rebbe didn't answer. So in some cases, he, he may have been said, told by the Rebbe, there's nothing he can do. Can you please find an appropriate time to present my request again, another bracha? Maybe you'll be more successful than I was and eager to help a Yid who's in trouble. The Maharaj agreed, and that, that's what he would do many times. So there's one, one such story, it's as follows. There was a chassid from Vitebsk. He once came to the Tzemach Tzedek and poured out his heart to him, and, and he was in so much pain, he said, my only son received an order to present himself in front of the draft board, right, right to, to join the army. And the Rebbe knows how difficult it is to get an exemption from the draft, especially this year that they're drafting People they wouldn't normally draft. Usually they don't draft someone if there's one son in the family. They won't draft, but this year they are. And the problem is that, uh, Baruch Hashem, my son is strong and healthy, which makes it even worse. Like if he was a weakling, they wouldn't want him. But, he, but he's very strong. And the doctors are for sure going to say he's good for the army. So, Rebbe, you have to save him. Now, the Tzemach Selek shared in the father's pain, and he cried along with him. However, he saw in Shemayim that his son's fate is sealed. His son is going to have to go to the army. It was decreed that he should go. So full of 
sadness that Samach Sadek said, listen, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do to help you. So leaving the Rebbe's room, the father broke down in uncontrollable crying. And he thought to himself, listen, the Rebbe's love for every Yid is beyond measure. You can't measure. It's at such a high level. If even he can't help me, then it must be, Taka, that my son's fate is, is, is sealed. However, listen, it's my son. I have to still try as much as I can to, to, to help my only son. So I'm going to go to the Marash, right, the youngest son of the Rebbe, to see if he can get, bring my request to the Rebbe a second time. And of course, the Marash agreed. However, his father said, listen, he went to the Samach Tzedek, and the Samach Tzedek said, listen, I, I already said there's nothing I could do to help him. So having no, no, no other choice, the Yid makes his way home. Days passed until it was time for his son to be examined by uh, the government uh, doctors to see if he was fit to go to the army. Two days before the appointment, this, this distraught father, Mamish, killing him inside, he might never see his son again for 25 years. And even if he sees his son after 25 years, who knows how firm his son's going to be. So he sends a, messen a messenger to the Maharash specifically to beg him to go again to, to ask his father for a bracha. And although his father, the Rebbe, already said twice, there's nothing he could do. The Maharash said, well, what am I supposed to do? I have to help this yid if I can. So again, he goes to the Tzemach Sadek, his father, and, and again, the Tzemach Sadek says, I'm sorry, there's nothing I could do. But he tells his son, bring me a medrash tan chuma. A medrash on chumash. And the Maharash brought the Sefer. And the Tzemach Sadek turns to the Pasuk, it says, Im kesef tauve, where the Torah instructs us that you have to help another Yid with money if they need to borrow, to lend money to another Yid. And he then started to read the medrash on this Pasuk. So Hashem says, a poor person's neshama is mamish starving and he's, he's, the guy's on the verge of dying. And you gave him support and you helped him. I promise you, this is what Hashem says, right in the Medrash, that I will reimburse you. I'll pay you back. A soul, a neshama for a neshama. You save a yid, I'll save you. The day will come when your son or daughter is going to become sick or they're going to be close to death even. And I'm going to remember this thing that you lent this poor Yid money and you saved his life. I'm going to remember that. And even though in Shemayim it says that he's supposed to, your son's supposed to die, I'm going to remember this and I'm going to save your son anyways. So saying this, the Samach Sadek closes the Sefer and the Maharaj understood, okay, time to go. <coughs> However, you realize this something's out of the ordinary over here. Obviously, this young man's going to be saved somehow. And sure enough, a few days later, the wonderful news reached Lubavitch that the boy had been spared. Miraculously, the doctors over there, for some unknown reason, declared that he was not able to join the army. As if he was like a crippled person or something. And he was sent home. And we will continue tomorrow.